You ready to dive in? I am. I just don't want to be a dry preacher, so. <clears throat> Terrible old pe preacher joke, but. Um, <clears throat> so, my heart today and throughout this whole series, ding, I had an idea. Um, our, our heart in this whole series is, is that you would encounter in greater ways Jesus. I don't want you to encounter me. I don't want you to encounter a sermon. I want you to encounter Jesus. Now, we're going to do that by declaring the Word of God, by preaching. But, but I want to, I, I, I really, my heart is that you hear behind the words and behind me, and you hear, you connect with Jesus. If you're exploring faith in Christ, whether you're here in this room or watching online today, if you're exploring faith in Christ, this series is especially for you. Um, we want to we want to help you on that journey. And you know what? We welcome your questions. We even welcome your skepticism. Welcome it. Because you know what? All of us were where you are at some point. And we understand that it's a journey. It's a process of coming to know Jesus. And none of us has everything figured out. But here's the deal. Jesus is in the business of revealing himself to us. He doesn't expect us to come all the way. He, he wants to come to us. And, and those of us in this room, those of us watching online that have come to faith in Christ, we have done so because Jesus has shown himself to us in some way. We've encountered, we've not just heard a sermon and said, yeah, I can agree with that. We've encountered Jesus, and we said, we want to be part of your family. It's a whole different thing. So I want to encourage you, if you're exploring Christ, lean into this. We're on our fifth message in a series called, I Am. I Am. And if you're joining us for the first time today, we're looking at the Gospel of John. And uh, John brilliantly has put together his gospel with a very clear intention. He wants you to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He said so. Um, uh, we'll get to that in a second. But um, so John, John, in his gospel, he pulls out of all the things that Jesus did in his life on the earth, he pulls out and curates for us a selection of seven miracles and seven, he calls them signs, seven signs, and seven statements that Jesus makes about himself. I am statements. Thus, the title of the series, I am statements. Now, Jesus is, is he's pulling on, he's, he's, he's connecting in with the, the name of God all through the Old Testament is Yahweh. It's the name that God told Moses. When, when Moses said, who shall I tell the Israelites ascending me? God said, I am that I am. Tell them 
I am, Yahweh has sent you. And then all through the Old Testament, we find this name, Yahweh. You might say, well, I've read the Bible, you know, I've read lots of the Bible, and I've never seen that name in there. I've never seen Yahweh in there. Well, you have. You just, it gets translated, right? So when you're reading the Old Testament, if anywhere that you see God called Lord with all caps, capital L-O-R-D, that is a, it's a code in the English translations of the Bible to say this is Yahweh. This is Yahweh. Now, there are places where it says capital L, small O-R-D. That's a different word. That's code for a different word, Adonai, that literally means Lord. Okay? So, so Jesus is pulling on this, this name, I am, and seven times he says, I am blank. Right? So, so week one, we talked about I am, Jesus said, I am the true vine. Then he said, I am the light of the world. Week three, he said, I am the bread of life. Week four, um, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. We looked at last week in, for our Easter message. And then this week, we're looking at, I am the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. We'll get into that. But John, John said, put this up every week in this message just so we can be really clear. This is, this, John said, I want you to know exactly why I'm writing this gospel. I want you to know why this matters. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples. Remember, signs are miracles, right? Many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's John's heart. That's what he wants for you today. And so, today the sign that we're going to look at is the fifth sign, is the healing of a paralyzed man. John chapter 5, if you have Bibles or Bible apps, you can turn there. If you don't, that's totally okay. You can follow along and listen. John 5. Went back too far into Luke. John 5. So sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to, used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there uh, had been an invalid, had been disabled for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there 
and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up. Take up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said, Take up, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick, up, pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So John gives us a location of where this story takes place. It's near a gate in the wall of Jerusalem called the Sheep Gate. The Sheep Gate was near the temple courtyard. It was just north, just just outside the temple courtyard. Um, and it was called the Sheep Gate because <clears throat> the sheep that were raised in Bethlehem, in the hill country of Bethlehem, specifically for the sacrifices at the temple, were brought around and through the Sheep Gate to be prepared for the sacrifices. And these sacrifices um, had been taking place for 900 years in the temple and for about 400 years in the tabernacle before that. So for about, about 1,300 years, these sacrifices had been taking place. And they took place to cover sin until the Messiah, the true Lamb of God, would come and give His life for sin once and for all, right? So these sacrifices were taking place to cover sin. Um, so John tells us that by the gate, there was this pool. And around the pool, there were five, he calls them porticos, covered porticos, just stalls. There were, there were areas where the sheep could be kept out of the sun until it was time for the sacrifice. And the water was used to cleanse the sheep, to water the sheep. It was used for, for the sacrifice. And we're told that the pool was called Bethesda. Bethesda. House of Grace. Bethesda. The house of grace. 
So the connection certainly referred to the grace that was given people because of these animal sacrifices that were gathered there, right? This was the house of grace. This is the place where the sacrifices were kept and prepared. The worst day of the sheep's life was the best day of the person that received grace. Kind of like Good Friday, right? And here is this man in the house of grace doing everything he can to earn God's favor. Now, there's, there's a verse in there um, that, uh, that we don't see. I had glasses here somewhere. Oh, thanks, guys. Couldn't see him. Uh, so, so some of you, if you've got a King James or New King James version, um, they will have a couple verses or a verse and a half that we don't find here in the NIV. But in the NIV, it's down in the, in the, um, the footnotes at the bottom of the page. Verse the last part of verse 3 and verse 4 says, um, they waited, uh, the, when, when the, the disabled people were there laying in the porticos with the sheep, near the sheep, they were waiting for the moving of the waters, it says. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters, the first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. Um, now, the reason it's not put in the main text in most of our modern translations is because the oldest manuscripts that we have don't have that verse in it. And it's thought that's, that someone put it in there to explain... Um, what is being talked about in verse 7, where it says, Sir, the, the man replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. So, we're not really sure what this water stirring thing is all about. In fact, most of the commentaries that I read um, don't even touch it because they're like, we don't really know what, what to make of this. And I don't think it, I don't know if it matters. And we don't know if people were actually healed by getting into the water or if this was an urban myth and people were just trying to get there when there was maybe some gases that came up from under or maybe there was an angel that stirred the water. We, we just don't know. The point is this man was in the house of grace and he's trying to earn God's gift. For years, he'd been trying to get his healing. And when Jesus talks to him, he says, I've been trying so hard, but there's no one who will help me. Isn't that sad? There's no one who will help me, he says. 
I've got to think this man was a whole lot like some churchgoers. He's in the house of grace, but he doesn't understand grace because the people around him keep just giving him funny looks and saying, you've got to try harder. You've got to measure up. You've got to be faster. You've got you to you work harder. Better luck next time. And rather than help the guy, rather than point him to true grace, all he gets is discouragement and judgment. But not on this day. Because Jesus, the God of grace, is in the house of grace and he's getting ready to show this man what grace really looks like. Jesus comes to this man. Scripture says he's been in this condition for 38 years. Now, we don't know how long he's been by this pool. doesn't tell us that, but he's been disabled for 38 years. And Jesus asks him a strange question. Do you want to get well? Doesn't that seem like a strange question? A guy who's been disabled for 38 years. He's been unable to work, unable to make a living, almost certainly spent his life begging just to survive. He's alone in the world. And no sense of purpose other than just survive. Right? And Jesus asks him, do you want to get well? You know, in in 29 years of pastoral ministry this month, um, I've known far too many people who did not want to get well. Whatever it was that they were burdened with, whether it was emotional pain, from stuff that had happened in their life. Unforgiveness and bitterness. Attitudes of judgment and gossip. Sexual sin. Addictions. Physical sickness. Disabilities. As much as they knew that these things were slowly destroying their lives, they had lived with them for so long, they had actually become part of their identity and how they saw themselves. Instead of of identifying with their Savior, they identified with their sin or their sickness. Instead of identifying with their Savior, they identified with their sin and their sickness. Jesus is a chain breaker. Jesus is a destiny shaper. But here's the, 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 um, 
the trick, the, the, the challenge, is that he will not change you against your will. If you keep praying, Jesus, help me, and then he says, okay, just let go of that, and you say, ah, uh, no way. Then he is powerless to change you. Not because he's powerless, but because he will not violate your will to transform your life. He made you to be powerful. He made you with the power to make choices. And he asks you to choose him. But if you will not, then he will allow you to keep going in the direction that you want to go. And so he doesn't demand, he asks, do you want to get well? Notice when he asks, the man doesn't even really give him a straight answer, right? He actually just starts complaining. Well, sir, I have no one to help me, to get me to the water in time. But Jesus can hear in his complaint a feeble yes. Sir, I have no one to help me. Folks, God does not need you to come all the way to him. He just needs to hear from you, yes. And he will come to where you are. Isn't that amazing? The grace and the love of God is amazing. And that day in the house of grace, Jesus met him all the way where he was. And Jesus makes a declaration. He says, Literally in the Greek, he says, arise. It's, it's, it's resurrection language. He says, arise. Take up your mat and walk. Three things this man has not been able to do for 38 years. Arise, pick up anything, and walk. Sounds preposterous, right? That Jesus is telling him, instructing him to do three things that he hasn't been able to do for 38 years. But at once, he was healed and he was obedient and he picked up his mat and he started walking. I, I, I kind of think it was more than a, a dance or a skip or a jump or something, Right? Suzanne almost danced into the, into the church today. First day back after surgery, yeah. But uh, I, I had, you know, he was healed, he picked up his mat, and he walked. And this man is given, the God of grace gives this man in the house of grace a gift of grace and heals him. 
Not because he earned it, because you can't earn grace. That's not how it works. It's the point of grace. But this moment, this moment of grace changed this man's life and gave him a whole new life and purpose. Maybe the greatest grace or gift that that man received that day was not just being able to walk, but having purpose, knowing how to walk, who to walk for, and where to walk. Right? He believed in Jesus. Lots of people are able to walk, but don't know where to walk. Don't know how to walk. Don't know the path that they're to walk on. Don't know their purpose. I want to ask you today, do you know your purpose? Do you know your purpose? That takes us today to John chapter 10. believe one of the questions that people are asking today, whether they ask it verbally or not, but by the things that they're pursuing and the things that they're, they're um, you know, trying to figure out, they're asking, what is the key to finding my purpose? What is the key to finding my purpose? want to know why their lives count, want to live for something bigger and take than, than just taking home a paycheck, just, just surviving till retirement and then surviving a little longer. This, this generation of young people today is filled with social justice warriors want to change the world. They want to fight climate change and they want to fight racism and fight capitalistic greed and fight, fight, fight. Those are all worthy causes, but the point is often as much that they need a cause than what the cause is. They know their life should be about something more than surviving and they're right. Sometimes they've watched the generations behind them live for less. And they've said, there's got to be more to life. And they're right. Jesus actually came to give us a cause. The cause. And when we ask the question, where is the key? Where, what is the key to finding my purpose? Jesus' answer is, I am. I am the good shepherd. I am the one who will guide you 
and help you find your way and lead you on a grand adventure so that your life counts not just for this life but for eternity. Come work with me, Jesus says, to build my kingdom of love and joy and peace and righteousness on the earth. The purpose, the cause. John 10, the, the whole chapter, there's some great stuff. Pastor Graham, next week, I'm, I'm going to be gone for a week, um, leaving Friday, going up to Ontario to deal with some estate stuff from my mom, and I'm going to be gone for a week. Pastor Graham next week is going to be talking about verses 1 to 10 of this, uh, of this chapter. Uh, where it says, Jesus, Jesus says, I'm the, I'm the gate or the door. Um, and it's kind of connected to Jesus being the shepherd, but I'm not going to steal any thunder. Let him dig into that next week. Um, but we're going to pick things up at verse 11 of John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. We're going to read right down to verse 33. So just listen well. I know it's a big chunk again, but just let's, let's, uh, let's lean in. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This is the command I received from my Father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he's demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Then came the festival of the dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts, walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones 
to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for, the bla- for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. There are some people who say in the discussion of who and what Jesus was, um, you know, they say that, well, Jesus never overtly says the words, I am God. So, you know, did he really mean that? Well, the people that were standing there that day sure heard him say, I am God. Right? Because it says, they said, you, a mere man, claim to be God. And there's no question that when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, that he is at least partially referencing the shepherd psalm. Psalm 23. What is Psalm 23? What's the first line? The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. But you know what? If you look at it, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Yahweh is my shepherd. And Jesus says, Yahweh, the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Powerful, isn't it? So Jesus is at least partially referencing that psalm. And by saying, I am the good shepherd, I mean, that psalm says, in, an, in, in, in a, a, a nutshell, it says, I have all I need, I will be led, I will be fed, I will be refreshed, I will be comforted in the dark valley, I will be protected through all dangers, I will be corrected when I'm off track and I will be blessed even in the midst of people's evil plan against me. All of these shepherding images that are in that psalm, Jesus is claiming for himself and saying, I want to be those things for you. Right? I want to be your shepherd. So, What does it mean that Jesus is the good shepherd? Four quick things. It means Jesus cares for his sheep. He's not a hired hand, he says. You know, when trouble comes, Jesus doesn't go out the back door. He is there. He is standing between you and trouble. He is your protector. You know, there are days when you may not feel, you you may feel like, If Jesus is my protector, how is this thing happening to me? Jesus is with you in that moment, and he will only allow to touch you the things that he wants to use to grow you. 
as you trust him, he will get you through whatever it is. He is your shepherd. He will show you the way through. If you trust him, right? If you've run away from the shepherd, then you need to get your way back to the shepherd really quick. Does that make sense? Yeah. Get your way back to the shepherd. Jesus cares for his sheep, cares for the people that put their trust in him. He's committed to your protection, to your growth, to leading you, and to helping you find your purpose. Jesus knows you. Secondly, he knows you and you can know him. We're not part of some dead religion to a dead or distant God who, but, but we worship a God who wants to know us. Isn't that amazing? We worship a God who wants to know us. Jesus says, my, my sheep, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Right? He wants to know us and he wants us to know him. God came in the person of Jesus to bridge the massive gap between a holy God and a good God and a sinful and broken humanity. Jesus did not come to start just another great religion on the earth. But he came to say that all of our, all of our religious instincts as human beings point to the reality that there is a God. But that God wants, He came to us. He's not waiting for us to come to Him, crawl up some religious effort mountain. He came to us in Christ. And He came to invite you to a relationship with your Creator and He came to make a way so that we could know Him. And if we will turn away from our sin and turn towards Jesus. We will find forgiveness and healing, and we will find Him leading us in His way. And then we can actually have a living relationship with God. You can talk with Him. You can share your burdens with Him can share your sorrows and fears and you can receive strength and comfort and peace. Wow. It's amazing to know God. Thirdly, Jesus' family transcends human barriers. For so long, the Jewish people, the descendants of Abraham, had learned to think along ethnic lines. They'd been, they'd been told that as descendants of Abraham, God had chosen them to be his special people. God had never intended that to mean that they were in and everyone else was out. That was never the point. But they'd come to believe that. 
They were instead, they were to be God's chosen people because they would be the ones to demonstrate God's goodness and love to the rest of humanity. Right? But because we tend to divide people into us and them, in and out, the message of Jesus was meant to bring people together. The message that was meant to bring people together was off, is often used to divide. Jesus is saying here that his family is meant to be a global family. All who will turn from sin and believe on him will be rescued, will be forgiven, will be adopted into his amazing family. This was shocking and mind-blowing to the religious leaders that heard Jesus talking about this. It was revolutionary, and it is still revolutionary to say that ethnic divisions are washed away at the cross. So amazing to travel the world to other to travel to other parts of the world, meet people that I can't even understand them and they can't understand me, and we need a translator to to communicate with each other. And yet there's this amazing sense that we are we're family. We're brothers and sisters. We're connected because we serve one God. Right? And lastly, Jesus as the good shepherd means that Jesus lays down his life for his sheep. And he says in verse 28, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Folks, God wants you to be a part of His amazing family. He does. Jesus, the Good Shepherd, wants you to have the eternal life that He came to give. And He wants you to it doesn't end there. It just starts there. That's the amazing part, right? It doesn't end there. It just starts there. That we actually get to be a part of God's amazing adventure on the earth to bring his love and his hope to people around us. Wow. Let's stand. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Jesus. I am so grateful, not just that Somehow in God's mercy and grace, he let me become a a part of his family 
and that, that for the, the vast majority of my life, I have, I have, I have known Jesus. It's amazing. But I've also um, for most of that time had an incredibly clear sense and, and, and I think it's, it gets clearer as time goes on but an incredibly clear sense of God has a purpose for my life. It's an amazing thing that we get to be a part of, seeing his kingdom built in this world. See people come to know Jesus and the forgiveness and healing and freedom that he has for them. And I want to pray with you today before we close that, first of all, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, that you, that you would today. Or you'd at least lean in to the next layer of questions and discovering who is Jesus really? But also that, that if you know Jesus as your Savior, that you wouldn't get stuck there, that, that you would find the purpose He has for you. Because folks, until the day you take your last breath, if there's still breath in your lungs, there is purpose on your life. That's worth saying again. If there is still breath in your lungs, there is still purpose on your life. And if you don't know what it is, lean into Jesus because he wants to lead you. So God, I thank you for your love and your mercy and your goodness today. Thank you that you are so kind. Thank you that you're so faithful. Thank you that you came to be that sacrifice, to die for our sins so that we could be washed clean, so that we could be reconnected with the Father, so that we could know God what a, what a privilege. God, I pray if there's anyone who's still on the fence, who still just isn't sure about surrendering their hearts and their lives to you, I pray that today you would reveal yourself to them and that today they would make that choice. Say yes to Jesus. And God, I pray for every person who hears this message today that maybe doesn't have, they, they, they know you as their Savior, but they don't have a clear sense of their purpose in this world. God, I thank you that you're our shepherd. I thank you that you, you want to lead us. You want to guide us. You want to show us the path. So I pray, God, that you would lead us. That you'd make it clear and that we would live out the rest of our days serving a, a great cause, the cause of Jesus on the earth. And we give you thanks in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Before we rush out, why don't we just take a moment?